Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to the local church, everyone at home at Everglades Correctional, everyone here today. I'm Eric, I'm one of the pastors, and today we're continuing our teaching series called Blockbusters, where we're looking at these larger-than-life stories in the Bible and seeing that it's one story about one hero who from the very beginning has had plans of hope and a future for us, his beloved. Amen? And throughout this teaching series, we, we, we've talked through a lot of blockbusters out in the movie theaters. We've shouted out a lot of movies, and, and, and I want to tell you today that the only thing better than a great blockbuster is an even better sequel. The movie's great, but then they come out with part two, and that that is superior to the original. There's a lot of great sequels. What's your favorite sequel? Go ahead and shout it out. Grease 2. Okay. Over here. Infinity Wars. Yes. Come on. Shout it out. We're, we're, we're Christian. We don't watch television. God's Not Dead Part 2 is my favorite sequel. Come on. Name some great sequels. Terminator 2. Maverick. Oh, Maverick. Oh, Maverick. That, that was good. If you haven't seen that yet. You know what? I think I can... Maybe I shouldn't, but... Um, camera, I would say, I fully recommend that movie. Oh, uh, now I feel weird saying that because I forgot. Anyways, um, I want to say something bold today. You may not agree with it, but that's okay. But out of all the sequels, specifically sagas, meaning multiple sequels, I think there's no saga or sequel better than the Fast and Furious franchise. Fight me afterwards, that is okay. I know Pastor Steve likes Lord of the Rings. Ah, Fast and Furious is better than Gandalf. And, and listen, if you've never seen the movies, I can't recommend those movies, uh, but if you've never seen those movies, you would think that they're movies about being fast and furious. And if you think that, you're wrong because the theme of those movies is actually another F word, and it is family family, like the end of every movie, they, they come together over a dinner table and Dom's like, hey, you're family to me, I love you, my familia, like every single movie, it, it's family, if someone's in trouble, they'll all go and, and, and be with their family, if, if someone, you know, it, uh, breaks your trust, like Letty, you, you betrayed me, family, but you know what, we're still going to forgive her and we're going to fight for her, and, and everything in that movie is about family, they did the impossible together, they, they, they went from one place to another, and people were resurrected all because of this hope of the family. And I thought that was fitting for us today. Uh, Pastor Steve is, is, is here. He led us in worship today. I'm so grateful for that. Him, him and his wife, Sam, they celebrated seven years of being a family together uh, last week. Seven years of loving and serving one another as a family, building a family together. Uh, Steve's also my family. Uh, we're not blood related, but 10 years ago, uh, him and, and, and Pastor Johnny and, and my family, we, 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 we built this. We, we started uh, what is now known as the local church. We, we planted a life-giving church and, and served together and fought together and uh, 
flew in from Rio de Janeiro and drummed cars from, you know, the, the, the Burrs or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to tie into the, the movie right now. Um, he, he has been family. He's helped us grow. The, the fact that we get to experience um, more than production, we get to experience the presence of God has been because of his leadership. And uh, there aren't many leaders that I know that are better than Steve. And there are far fewer people um, who I call family, like him and Sam. Now, as you know, this is our year of release. And we've been talking about releasing to God, of letting go what is in our hands. And, And if we really put that into practice, what does that look like? You know, for some of us, maybe it was releasing pain that that has plagued our life for so long and allowing the Holy Spirit to give us peace that surpasses understanding. For some of us, maybe it's been letting go of something that we thought was was a dream, but God was saying that is not good and let go of that to me and and experiencing his provision in a way that, that we have never imagined because we held so tightly onto something. Maybe it's letting go of hopes and allowing God to reveal more than you could ever imagine. For Steve and Sam, uh, this past year, as they've been praying, as they've been opening out their hands and asking God to lead them, uh, God gave them release. Specifically for Pastor Steve, God gave him release that his identity is not to be found in his work responsibilities and his leadership in ministry not to be limited to music. Uh, So they've been praying, as we have been as a church, of uh, what God wants to do and and how God wants to stretch them and use them and bless them and their family uh, and their future for even greater ministry. And as much as, man, I thought this would be easy, man. As much as I um, love Pastor Steve being here and uh, seeing him Monday through, well, Sunday through Thursday and the, the, the memories we've shared over the past 10 years, um, We know that where God wants Steve and Sam for this season is the best place for them to be, and it is good. And so today, uh, I want to share God news, that is good news, that at the end of this month, Pastor Steve, he'll transition from our uh, full-time staff to fulfilling a leadership position at a a small family ministry that some of you may have heard of called Chick-fil-A. He has accepted a, a, a leadership position there um, and what that's going to do for him and his family and how it's going to stretch him as a leader. We're grateful for that opportunity. Now, I don't want you to think, you know, most of you, this is your first time hearing this. And typically when we hear things like this, we go to like Fast and Furious 7. Do you remember that at the end? Dom and Brian, they, they go down these separate paths. It's been a long time. And like, like oh no. But Pastor Steve is still, Pastor Steve, he's still a pastor here. He's still going to be leading us in worship. His family is still plugged into this church. But he'll no longer be part of our salary leadership team. And so here's what I want to say as we begin today. If he has blessed you, if him and Sam, their ministry has meant something to you, um, meet us outside after service today. Let him know. Tell him, tell him how much he's been a blessing. 
Uh, we also have this opportunity, and, and Pastor, Pastor Johnny and Carson will, will share this to us uh, later, but we have this opportunity just to share our thoughts and our words. We have these cards, and we're going to put them in, 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 a, in, a, in a booklet for, for them just to remember the, the ministry that they, um, that they did here and the ministry that God's going to continue to do through their lives in this place and through Chick-fil-A. Uh, if God has put something on your heart to bless them with, man, just do that. We say this often. Whatever, whatever God leads you to do, do that. That's the best thing that you can do. Don't buy him Chick-fil-A gift cards. He, he's not going to need those anymore. Uh, but over the next several weeks, as, as, um, as we worship together, we're going to have this time to be able to honor him and to celebrate them, uh, to let them know the impact they've made in our lives and, and to, to give them thanks for, for connecting us to Jesus and one another. And um, this is important for, for us to, to pause and to take time during a service uh, because who he is, who they are, matters more to us than, than what they do. And they are our familia. And to me and my family, they are our family. We have values here that, um, that we live by at the local church. And we've talked about two of them over the past weeks. Today, I want to talk about this idea of family, this idea of familia. Because we live in South Florida, and you know, where a lot of, where my Latinos at? Woo! All right, people, come on. Let, 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 let's, let's move forward. Pastor Steve, you were right. We should have done this later on because we got God's word to speak. Familia happens here. Here's what we mean by that. Genuine community and connectedness is what God has created me for. Today, I want to talk about that. I, I want to talk about the first family. More specifically, the fall of this first family. And like we've been looking at over the past few weeks to, to see how, how Jesus' goodness has been there from the very beginning. And practically, what that means for us today is I, I want us to understand how we can experience this genuine community and connectedness um, to experience forgiveness and protection and hope in the relationships that matter the most to us, those we consider our family. Today, what I want us to understand is that things can be very good again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that even though things don't feel good, even though we may have messed up what was good, that things can be very good again? Amen? Does anyone here remember a time that was very good. Yeah, typically it, it revolves around people, doesn't it? It's not so much, you know, the, the, the money that you had or the food that you ate. Typically when we think of a time that was very good, the good old days, it, it was the family and the people surrounding us. And this was God's design from the very beginning. He said, after he made Adam and Eve the first family, he said it was very good. It was very good. How good was it? Let me tell you. Genesis 131. That's supposed to be your response, but I know, listen, it's a little bit heavy. We're getting through this together. Genesis 131, it says this. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. This is how good it was. Genesis 2.25. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this isn't a joke, okay? I, 
when, when you can walk around in your birthday suit and not feel shame about anything, there is very little that you have to worry about in this world. They had an intimate relationship with each other and a close relationship with their God where they had everything provided for, where they had everything that they needed. Now, we can't do that today, okay? Please don't do that today. It's a perfect place for imperfect people, but you will go to jail. We will call the police on you and pray for you on your way out. We can't do that today. This is a broken world, but the world they lived in was very good. They had no care whatsoever. And in the middle of this very good, the Bible says there were two trees. One tree came with a promise and one tree came with the warning. Genesis 2.9, you can follow along on the screens or in your app. It says this. It says, and out of the ground, in what was very good, the Lord God made spring up a tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now, I, I'm kind of a movie buff. I have the AMC, you know, A-list pass, and, and it's just, it's what I do, and so don't judge me, but, but I've watched a lot of movies, and in 2010, there was this movie that came out called The Tree of Life, and, and it's a beautiful movie. It, you know, it, it talks about trying to find faith in a fractured world. It's not a faith-based movie, and it, it's a little bit strange, but the, what makes it unique is that it uses such beautiful imagery to, to help understand these complex concepts. But this tree of life, you need to understand, this wasn't some analogy. This wasn't some concept. This was an actual tree that gave everlasting life. Not just everlasting in time, but in quality as well. No more sickness. No more aches. No more pains. No more heartache. Forever with God. Now, you compare that to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which many of us think that means you. When they, if they would have eaten it, they would have known what was good and what was evil. It's not just about that. To eat of it was to assume that you are deciding what is good and evil and not God. And that becomes problematic. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things that I think are good in this world that you may not think are good. When we're talking about movies, we're talking about blockbusters. My favorite movies, the movies that I think are good are goofy comedies like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey and Wayne's World 1 and 2. Very good sequels there. Or Bubble Boy, which needs a sequel. Like I think those movies are good and hilarious. I, I like zombie movies. Some of you are like, oh, you can't like... Yeah, I, I like zombie movies. I like mafia stories. Now, some of you, for you, what is good? You're like, you know, I really like dystopian teen movies. Or I like period, you know, Victorian, Victorian period pieces or Hallmark love stories. And to me, those are bad. You're wrong. Those are not good movies. But I'm not God, right? And, and unless God tells us this is good... And this is bad. If we try to make that decision on our own, how many of us know that that can lead to some heartache, to some pain, to some destruction in people's lives? You just look at the world we're in. People murdering innocent people. People hating other people because of their culture. People pushing people away because you're not like me. I'm good. You're bad. I'm right. You're wrong. And you can't tell me anything about it. I don't want to hear it because I know what is good. 
We see this in our world today. We see all this hurt and pain. And this is because the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, again, wasn't just to know the difference between the two, but choosing to be self-reliant like God. But we are not God. So why even put that tree in the garden? Like, God, why, why would you do that? Why would you give that option for us to make what is very good bad? Here's why. Because it's not love if we don't have a choice. We're God's children. We're his people, not, not his puppets. If we don't have a choice, then we can't choose real love. We all know someone in our family who does whatever it takes to be right in every situation. Do you, do you know that person? If they're with you, don't point to them right now because you're going to get an earful when you get home today. Whether it's an overbearing parent, whether it's a, a rebellious teenager who thinks they know more than you do even though they haven't lived your life, whether it's a relative who has an opinion on everything, we know these people that do whatever it takes to push their views, to make sure they are right. And that doesn't make for good relationships, does it? No, of course not. I've lived four decades of my life, and, and I've learned a lot of lessons from my many dumb decisions. And I want to share those with people that I love. I want to let them know, no, you, you shouldn't do that. No, that guy is bad news for you. No, don't stick your finger in that socket. What are you, crazy? But here's the thing. I cannot force my will and force my way upon people all of the time because that is not loving. I don't like saying that, but that's the truth. And so I want you to write this big idea down. Because God so loves the world, he lets us choose. Because God so loves the world, he lets us choose. And so he put in this very good garden, he put this tree in the middle for, 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 for training and testing of Adam to say, well, will you say this is good and will you say this is evil? Will you choose what I say is good? Will you choose what I say is bad? But, but in this garden, there was a, a, someone else who had a, an idea about this tree, who wanted to use this tree for their own benefit. Bible says it was the serpent. And this isn't like a snakes on a plane type of snake, okay? This is literally Satan himself. And Satan, what he wanted to do is he wanted to strike the heart of what mattered most to God in all of his creation. It's us. His people, his children, his family. So I want to show you three ways that, that Satan brought division to our relationship with God, which in turn brings division in our relationship with one another. First thing is this, Genesis 3.1. It says, now the serpent, he was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? He questioned God's word. Satan questioned God's word. And he questioned to, to make this idea that what God was saying was unreasonable. Did, did, did God really say that? And it's foolish, but how often do we question God's word? Did God really say that I have to continue with my commitment and my vows even though I've fallen out of love with this person? Did God really say I need to forgive that person who hurt me when they ask for forgiveness, even though they've done it a few times before? 
Did God really say, like, I need to love them? Because technically, they're not my neighbor. I like my neighbor more than my cousin. I really have to love and serve them? He questioned God's word. Second thing we see Satan do is Satan added to God's word. He, he, he built upon it and made things up. He said, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Is that what God said? No, he didn't say any tree. There's only one tree that they could not eat from. And so in doing so, in adding to what God actually said, Satan wanted God's command to seem ridiculous and, and restrictive. And he doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to be yourself. Genesis 3, 2, look what happens. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God didn't say that. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. So now she's beginning to believe these lies because he's questioning, because he's adding to it. Now she's adding to it. And the third thing we see Satan do is Satan denied God's word. He just flat out denied. Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You're not going to get hurt. You're not going to get caught. And all of these are lies. Satan lies to us about God's word so that it can put a division between us and our most important relationship, which will leak into the relationships that, that matter most on this planet. He lies to us. Let me tell you something else that I think is, is evil. I think Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and bogus journey is good. And what I think is probably one of the most evil things on this planet is telemarketers. Am I the only one? Come on, if you believe that telemarketers are spawns of Satan himself. I'm talking about the position, maybe not the people. There's hope for the people. But man, they're just terrible, aren't they? They call you at all sorts of weird hours. Now they trick you and it's like people that you know, they, they put their name or like organizations that, that you're a part of or, or utilities that you already use. Like, oh, it's AT&T calling. And then, they, then they, they lie to you on the phone trying to convince you to give your information so they can scam you, so they can take what you have. They're the worst. Talking about Vin Diesel and blockbusters, he was actually in a blockbuster in 20, uh, I forget when it was, but it was this movie called Boiler Room. And he portrayed this scam caller. And it showed how, how he just built up so much wealth and money by scamming unsuspecting innocent people to give of what they had and it ruined their families. It ruined everything about the relationships because they were scammed. And so after watching that movie, man, I was just like, golly, these people are terrible. And I've decided and I've determined the best way to handle these telemarketers, these scam callers. It's not, it's not spiritual, but it is practical, and I'll give it to you if you're willing. Yes? Well, how many of you would like to know how to deal with these the best way? Okay, most of you. The rest of you, let them take your social security through Best Buy gift cards and here it is, ready? When they call, hang up the phone. It's as simple as that. Don't listen to them. Don't talk to them. Don't try to kindly tell them, you know what, I'm not really interested. Can you please take me off this list? No, don't try to be kind. Just hang up the phone. They have been trained to keep you on the line as long as they can for the sole purpose of stealing your information. So just hang up the phone. 
In the same way that, that Satan tried to, to convince and to lie and to steal from Adam and Eve. By, by adding to, by denying God's word, he does the same thing to us. So don't listen to him. When Satan starts to lie to you about what God says about you, don't listen. When Satan begins to make lies to you about the people that you love, don't listen. Because the more you listen to his lies, the more it will bring death to your relationships. Eve kept the door open to hear everything that Satan had to say, and she took what was very good, and now it became broken. Genesis 3, 6, and so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight for the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, he, he deceived her into believing that this was a good thing. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve listened to the serpent, Adam listened to Eve, and no one listened to God, the one who gave them so good. And when they ate, the serpent lied to them and said, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. And that was a lie because their eyes were open, but they were nothing like God. In fact, when their eyes were open, they saw their shame. They saw their nakedness. All of their imperfections were out there uncovered. And instead of admitting their sin and asking for forgiveness, they do what so many of us do. They hid. They ran away and they hid. And this is a hard lesson that I had to learn this life, but, but I want you to get it today. Don't hide things from the people that you love. Don't hide things from the people that you love. Because you may think it's good, you may think I'm protecting them, but, but if they find out what you've hidden, I'm telling you, it'll be worse than if you just would have told them what you were trying to hide in the first place. Because now it's broken the trust. Now it's, how can I even trust you? You, you? you couldn't bring this to me? Am I not that important to you? Adam and Eve, they were filled with shame and guilt about the mistake that they made and it broke their relationship with God and with one another. So here we have three chapters into the story and what was so good is now so messed up. And this could have easily been the end of the story. But I want you to write down this point of hope today. God's plan from the beginning wasn't to punish us. Let me let that sit for a second. Some of you, you're here today because you're thinking, if I don't come to church, God's going to be mad at me. No, God's plan from the very beginning wasn't to punish us. It was to have relationship with us. God wanted us to be his family. And then we messed up all of it. And he had every right to bring judgment right then and there. I don't know about you, but, but I would have, right? Anyone like that? Like, if, if I tell you the way that you can go that's going to make things good, of how you can avoid headache, and you do the opposite, for me, I'm just saying, for me, like, well, then deal with it. I hope you feel bad. I hope your heart breaks. Is that too much? Am I the only one who thinks that? Okay, let me, let me back up a little. If someone doesn't listen to me, at minimum, I love saying the words, I told you so. 
How many of us love saying those words? Come on. Let's be a perfect place for We got one honest person. I told you so. I knew from the very beginning. You should have listened to me. How many of us have said those words or heard those words and it led to a fight in our family? Come on, everyone's, yeah. Someone says that to you. We like saying it. We don't like hearing it. I want to let you know today that, that these fights in our family don't have to be the end. They don't have to be final. There is hope for us. God can make it good again. So here's what happens. In Genesis 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. My shame was exposed. You found out the thing that I was trying to hide and now I'm trying to keep from you. And God knew the answer, but he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God already knew. The key here is God went seeking after them. This is what he does. We sin and he still comes to find us. Where are you? And in this moment, Adam could have come clean. Adam could have confessed to sin. Adam could have said, I did wrong, God. And that could have been the beginning of this reconciliation. But what he did practically is something that we do that digs an even deeper hole. He blamed. He played the blame game. And the blame game is not a fun game. There are no winners, there are only losers. Genesis 3.12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to me. I mean, he's blaming everyone, right? God, it's your fault and it's her fault. It's not my fault. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Let me just say right here. Fellas, it is never good to pass blame on your lady. And all the ladies said, they will get furious real fast. It is not, there will be no sequel. If we want genuine community and connectedness, we have to own up to our wrongs. Passing the blame doesn't take away our problems. It builds up walls that are so hard to knock down. Passing the blame is saying, you're not important. It's your fault and you're the problem. And we'll never get to reconciliation until we take responsibility. He had the opportunity to take responsibility, but he blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent, and all of them broke what was very good. And then in Genesis 3.13, the Lord, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed, say cursed. There was a curse that happened. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and your belly shall go up, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Before this point, all creation was very good. It was so good, but now there was a curse in creation. And the next few verses, they talk about the effects of sin and the curse that it brings. And if there was some sort of realization of wrongdoing and, and repentance of sin, this relationship could have been recovered, could have been restored and reconciled. But how many of us know that that's not as easy as it sounds, right? How many of us actually like to admit we're wrong? How hard is it to humble yourself and to say you're sorry? Man, I'm, I'm just saying today, if we want hope in our broken relationships, for us to take responsibility and look that person in the eyes and say, I'm sorry. 
I did wrong. Will you forgive me? That could bring such beautiful reconciliation. But for so many of us, it's difficult. It's so hard for us to to get to that place. But even then, there's still hope. Even when we're not willing to make things better between us and other people, don't miss what God wants to do. Don't miss the relationship that is broken that he wants to restore. Genesis 3.14. So God says this. He says, and I will put enmity. I will put division. I will put conflict between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake. And between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Now, unless you're looking for Jesus from the very beginning, it's hard to notice that he's right there. It's Jesus he's talking about. This is God's plan to, to rescue and redeem us from the very beginning. God said, you messed up, but it's not over. One day, her offspring will come against your offspring of sin and you, you will strike his heel, but he's going to crush your heads. You think that you're going to have the victory as he's hanging upon the cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, but that was the death blow to you, Satan. Jesus defeated the power of, of sin and death. Jesus saves the day. He defeats the devil and he sets us free. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Now, now why is that important for us today? Turn to someone right now and tell them, the sequel is superior. Look to someone else. Say, the sequel is superior. Adam and Eve, they failed the test in the garden. Adam messed up, was very good, and opened up the future of his family to continual failures. Adam lost for us a deep intimacy that we were able to share with God and enjoyed with each other. Just like many of us here, we would say, I've messed up some things in this life. But Galatians 4.4, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Romans 5.14 says, this is the one who was to come from the very beginning. The one whom Adam was only a type. 1 Corinthians 15.14 continues, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam... The sequel that is superior became a life-giving spirit. The New Testament calls Jesus the, first, uh, the second or the last Adam to show us that the sequel is superior. It's God's plan to tell this story from the very beginning, but everything that Adam lost, Jesus came to restore, to make us good with God and to make our lives good again. And in Matthew, we read that his spirit, that the spirit of God descended upon Jesus and we heard a voice from heaven and God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased as to, to remind us of when he made Adam. He says, this is so good. But then right after that, the spirit of God leads him to, to something more serious and significant. The spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested like Adam. Now, why did Jesus' obedience need to be tested? 
That's like asking like Steven Spielberg to, to take an exam on directing. Like, of course, he knows everything there is. This is God. Why does his obedience need to be tested? Why would he do that? He did it for us. He did it so that he could experience and empathize and sympathize with everything that we go through when we face temptation. Because he's not an out-of-touch cosmic being. He's not some supernatural force that, has, that knows nothing of what we're going through. He's our friends and our savior and we're part of his family and he understands everything that we would ever experience because he went through it. That's so important for us in our relationships. It's so easy to, to cut somebody off or to cancel them when, when, they, when they wrong us. But if we can empathize, if we can understand that they're imperfect just like me, if we can sympathize with their struggle, this can build bridges. We can understand why they did what they did, why they, they responded like that. And Jesus knows everything. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain. He knows what you've gone through. He knows your struggles. And he still loves you the same. And just as Satan entered the garden to tempt Adam and Eve, Satan also entered the wilderness to tempt Jesus with the same thing. By using and misusing God's word to get him. But not only did Jesus know God's word, Jesus knew God. And he kept on saying, it is written, it is written. I'm not going to be deceived by your lies because I know the God of whom you speak of and you are not telling the truth. Do you know God's word? More importantly, do you know the God of the word? I'm telling us, if we want to see transformation in our family, read this with your family. Open this up and study this together as a family. And here's what's even more important. Put it into practice. Live it out. His word is living. It's active. It's powerful. The people in your family, they'll start wondering, why are you so different? Why are you so gracious? Why are you so forgiving? It's because you've allowed the word of God to transform you from the inside out. God, he wants to bring reconciliation. He wants to bring peace to our relationships. And religion is just knowing about passages, but what God offers us is actually knowing him, of being in relationship with him. And again, when, when we're in relationship with someone that we know loves us, when someone else lies about them, we don't fall for them like Adam did. And this wasn't the last time that Jesus faced it, testing by God and temptation by Satan. Like Adam, Jesus was tested by God and tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he overcame. It was the same test. Will you obey God or will you do what you want? And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. The sequel is superior. Jesus coming restored everything and more that Adam had lost. So I want you to write down this final point to summarize everything for us today. Jesus was not God's afterthought when things got bad or the better version of all of us. Adam and Eve didn't mess it up in chapter three and God saying, uh-oh, 
what do I do now? Let me try to figure something. He wasn't God's afterthought. And he's not the better version of us all. It's not like, well, I should have just made everyone like Jesus, perfect in every single way. He is, but why he came is because he is the savior for us all. He set us free from our sin. He restored to us back to very good. He restored our relationship with God. And I'm telling you, if we allow him, he'll repair and he'll rescue our broken relationships here on earth. The sequel is superior. If Adam and Eve obeyed God about the tree, they would live. But, but Jesus obeying God about the tree meant that he would die. But through his obedience, he brought back everything and more that was lost. Adam lost for us a beautiful naked and not ashamed in the garden. But on the cross, Jesus hung full of shame. Naked. And it wasn't his shame. Hebrews 12, 2 said, he endured the cross despising the shame. Romans 10, 11 says, so that everyone believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no shame on you today because of Jesus. All the shame that you feel, he carried upon himself and he put it to death for good so that we can experience his goodness again. You may have messed up. You may have marred your relationships, but I'm telling you, in Jesus, you're so loved. Because of Adam's rebellion, this blessing that God gave us became a curse. Everything good became infiltrated with evil, and what was beautiful became broken. But Galatians 3.13, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're not cursed we will never be cursed in Jesus. Why? Becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The sequel is superior. The second tree, this cross, built a bridge back to God's love, back to God's family, back to his goodness. And this this second tree, this cross, this is where everything starts over again. You might be like Adam. You might be like me today, and, and, and you've blown it. You've blamed others. You've forced your will upon other people. You've listened to lies, and now things that were once good are now fractured. And the only way to get back to what is God and what is good is to get right with God. Trying to be the spouse that you believe God wants you to be in a hurtful, broken, miscommunication relationship seems impossible. But to God, all things are possible. Forgiving the person that let you down when you needed them the most feels impossible to do. But Jesus forgave us even though it was all our fault rebuilding that relationship with people and bringing them back into the family seems impossible but it's what he did for us he brought us back to him 
So our greatest hope for any of our relationships is to get back to God. And today, he's our living hope and he's here. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.